0: Hello, welcome to another episode of the Abby Normal Podcast. I'm your host, Colin.
1: And I'm the birthday girl!
0: Which is the birthday episode for this one over here. Yes. Because she'll be turning, what, 28? Yes. Oh, wow, I actually got that right. Yep. So today is her birthday, apparently. Yes. Which, I'm so scared now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I mean, my birthday's on Valentine's Day. I hate Valentine's Day because of this, but...
0: Me too, so do it, I.
1: It's it's always been the the day that overshadows everything after it because like all throughout my childhood everybody is always like pumped or like oh it's valentine's day i'm so excited i'm like shut the fuck off fuck off like bitch it's my birthday let's celebrate me for a minute like i just want to feel not like a holiday baby so we don't In this household, we don't celebrate Valentine's Day. We just celebrate me.
0: I really don't. And if anything, on Valentine's Day, I just mostly eat chocolates.
1: Unless you're Bowie, then you celebrate me every day. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So so I figured with this one, like we did with Colin's birthday, I was going to pick a topic that I wanted to talk about. And I'm going to talk about my... Favorite creature feature franchise, and it's the Tremors series. Like,
0: literally, she knew what she wanted from the get-go. So when when I asked her, what would you want to talk about for your birthday, and she's like, Tremors.
1: I'm not going to name names, but I know a couple of podcasts who have already talked about the first movie that came out in 1990. One podcast did justice, others haven't, and I'm just, like, here to kind of, like, be... Rooting for the franchise. You want to it,
0: justify it.
1: Yes. I want to justify it as what it is. It's its got a good concept. And I think fi- I figure for for time's sake, since I'm going to be talking about the franchise as a whole, I'm only going to like gloss over some of the information and then just talk about some things about it that I like. Exactly. And then we'll go from there. So the first Tremors movie was released on September 8th, 1990. It has a runtime of an hour and 36 minutes and was directed by Ron Underwood. It had a budget of $11 million and made $16.7 million at the box office and has an IMDb rating of 7.1 out of 10, which I feel is fair. I mean, it's got a good concept. And S.S. Wilson, who wrote the premise and helped produce the movie, he claimed that he got the idea for the film while working for the U.S. Navy in California he thought to himself, as he sat on a boulder, he's like, what if something underground kept him from getting off the rock? Mm. I mean, isn't that, like, a cool? Because for me, when I watch this movie, I feel like I'm watching a bunch of people play that game The Floor is Lava. Yeah. In a sense. Because instead of, like, lava, if you stand on the ground, you're dead, pretty much. You're
0: eventually going to be dead if you put your first foot on the ground. Because they can feel that.
1: Yeah, because these these creatures hunt by sounds and vibrations. So anybody who's like walking around up, up like on the surface are going to be attacked by these monsters, which they're called graboids, which we'll get into a little bit. But these monsters were actually designed by a company called Amalgamated Dynamics. Yeah, and they they designed the creatures for the first movie, and they kind of helped also design the creatures for the second film too. Yeah. And I think it's really cool, too, that when I I was doing some behind the scenes, like information research, and the filmmakers were kind of forced to add some scenes in the beginning that kind of gave the impression that whatever this thing was that was killing people was below the ground. And the writers didn't really want to do that. They wanted to make people think that in the beginning until the big reveal that this was a actual person killing these people in the most weirdest of ways. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that is really cool and I mean that's why like too because of this action they had to add scenes in the beginning like the POV shots from the ground that were like stalking Rhonda Mm -hmm. and old Fred's death. Old Fred was this farmer who lived in the outskirts of town. His flock of sheep get massacred by these things and then his body up until his head gets pulled underground and he dies but they didn't want to add those scenes right away they just wanted to make it seem like these people were being killed by a person
0: yeah
1: what do you think how do you feel about this movie so far
0: I've I've known this movie since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And I remember I used to see commercials of this in little trailers and stuff. And I think the thing that I always remember from the trailers is when you see Kevin Bacon's face when he sees the Tremors for the first time with the Graboids. Oh, yeah. And it's just like... I, I just love how interesting that they came up with this concept of it. And the only times I've ever seen, like, sandworms like this also was, like, in Beetlejuice.
1: Yeah. And I almost forgot to add this, too, but I'm going to go ahead and list off, like, some cast members who are in this. So, Kevin Bacon, Fred Ward star as Val McKee and Earl Bassett. Then we have Finn Carter, who plays Rhonda, who's our seismologist expert. And then we have Michael Gross and Reba McIntyre as the Gummer couple, Bert and Heather. They're kind of like a survivalist couple of the town of Perfection, Nevada, which is where this story takes place. And I think it's a really good setting, too, because it's not only desert, which makes it easier for these monsters to kind of move underground, but they're so isolated out in this desert that the nearest town is, like, through the mountains Mm -hmm. and like, a good some odd miles away yeah and they their power lines get cut off they can't reach anybody outside of town Road workers who are working like in the mountains are being killed because of these things and it's, it's craziness yeah and I think it's it's a good setting for this type of movie
0: And it's a good premise to have this go any other way to be chaotic as possible
1: yeah it, it's that it's that feeling of isolation like you're stuck in this valley. That's all desert. And that's what I like you about have, this. Yeah. I think there's like four of these monsters mm-hmm. that are like in that area, but you can't travel because, like we said, if you move or if you walk or if you drive or whatever, you're going to put yourself at risk of getting killed and eaten by these creatures. Mm-hmm. So traveling is limited, communications are cut off, and you have, you're, again, you're isolated, you're trapped, you, you can't go anywhere. Yep. Another cast member I wanted to point out, which I thought was kind of interesting, was Ariana Richards. She plays Mindy. She's one of, actually, two children that are in this movie. Because there's Mindy, and then there's uh, Mel, I think. Mel's this teenage kid who's like this really stupid little teenager. Yeah. But Mindy, we see her in passing so often, and I think her part is very, very interesting. Because there's one scene where she almost gets killed by one of these things, Mm -hmm. and we don't think too much in the beginning when we first see her because she's hopping on a pogo stick and she's listening to music. And we don't think too much of her until Val, Earl, and Rhonda are in the town and they're realizing, like, these, these creatures are going to head for us because outside of this valley we're the only things that are making noise and there are a food source to these things. Mm-hmm. And then once they feel the rumbling and then they stop, and then they realize that Mindy's out there jumping on the pogo stick. It's like, oh my god, you don't even think that like she's gonna be at risk of this because she doesn't know much about what's going on. She's just in her own little world, and then she's you know carelessly jumping on a pogo stick, doing her own thing, and she almost gets killed by one of these creatures.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, it's this really suspenseful moment too. But what I think is really cool about Ariana Richards as an actress, three years after this, she would go on to be in Jurassic Park. Mm -hmm. As Lex, which is another creature feature film, which I think is really cool. And another podcast, Dead and Me, they were talking about what what makes a horror movie. And they were having like little debates about certain films and if they consider them horror films. And Jurassic Park was listed as a possible horror. I don't really know well, for cause certain. because you're dealing
0: with creatures, and, like, creatures are usually it's, in horror, and they are, are pretty terrifying, especially it's dinosaurs. A
1: dark, it's a dark film. Yeah. I mean, because even um, James A. Janice says, like, the way it's shot, the scenes with the dinosaurs that kill these people, like, it's very dark. And it's got a lot of kill scenes, like... Um, I feel like that's the, what
0: made the first movie so great.
1: Yeah. The sequels are kind of campy, much no. like the Tremors franchise. I mean, I but, still like
0: the sequels, but yeah. like, but that first one will always hit you just yeah. like how any movie and, would, the and first I, movie.
1: And I agree. I do feel like Jurassic Park, as a whole, could be considered a horror movie, if you look at it, because yeah. it's shot, or like James said, it's shot in a dark setting, it's got a dark theme to it, and it's dinosaurs, which are prehistoric- Extinct creatures killing humans. And it also which makes is,
0: sense for it to be campy also. Because a lot of dinosaur films and creature in, features are very campy.
1: In the sequels, they are. But the yeah. first one, I feel like, is a lot more serious. Yeah. With that being said, I thought it was cool that Ariana Richards was in this film. And they kind of had some other titles for this movie besides Tremors. So they, there's three, but I'm going to list them. So there's Beneath Perfection, which I thought would have been really cool. Aside from Tremors. Dead Silence, which is a name for another horror movie.
0: Mm-hmm, that came out in 2007.
1: And then Land Sharks, which is another title for another movie, which I just saw a clip of on TikTok, and it looks so stupid. Hmm. I don't even know if you would consider it a horror movie, but well, it's, anyway. Well,
0: it's got the horror elements to it that mix with the comedy. It's like uh, Sharknado.
1: Yeah. yeah. So I think, too, like one of the things I love about this movie... I mean, aside from its concept and the location everything, is that it's kind of scary in a sense of, like... Because when I watch this movie, after I watch it, I kind of get myself in this mindset of, like, what would our world be like if this was an actual threat? Like, would we be better protected? Like, I feel like in... A place like where we are, where we're kind of like in the city. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of concrete. And as we see in the movie, concrete and rock are something that they can't really pass through. Otherwise, they die. Yeah. But I feel like we would probably be better protected and more, oh, what's the word, prepared for this kind of attack. Mm-hmm. But people who live out in the country or in the desert probably wouldn't. So it, it would just be... A pretty chaotic situation, I feel like. Yeah. But that's the kind of mindset I think after I watch movies like this, it makes you think about, man, what would life be like if that were an actual thing? Would I be prepared for it? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it's interesting. And then as you get into the second movie and the other sequels, you start to, you know, see how they evolve. And it's like, oh, man, am I still protected? Like, am I still prepared for this? Because as we're we'll talking about in the sequels, they're... They're much more advanced as they evolve over time. Huh. Any other thoughts you wanna put in before we move forward? Not exactly.
0: If anything, let's just keep moving forward.
1: Okay. So the Graboids, let's let's just talk about those a little bit because they're like I mentioned, they're these big creatures that are I don't I can't tell you how long they are, but they're pretty long. They almost are about the size of a semi truck in length. Mm-hmm. And they have these three tentacles that spit out of its mouth. It hooks onto their prey and drags them down below. Yeah. And in the first movie, I think what's really interesting, too, about it is that nobody knows anything about what these things are, where they come from, how they originate and everything. And it isn't until the sequel that we find out their origin. Well, not origin, but you know what I mean. You know where they kind of, like, predate. Yeah. So.
0: With that being said...
1: Yeah, so with that being said, I just want to, before I wrap up, this movie had a total of 10 kills. So we had Edgar, who was the old guy from the town who they found, he had died of dehydration. He was stuck up on a tower. He had a rifle. He didn't come down. He died up there. Mm -hmm. Then we have old Fred, the farmer that I mentioned earlier. The two road workers, again, I mentioned earlier, they were up in the mountains. They were doing some drilling And they got dragged away by something. And then an an avalanche rock fell on top of the other and killed them. The doctor and his wife, which that scene was even more interesting, because not only do you get to see the tentacles for probably the first time, but you kind of get a sense of what these things are capable of doing. So that was another interesting one. There's two Mm -hmm. other road workers that were killed off screen. Then you have Walter Chang, who was the... Store owner, he kind of initially names these graboids the graboids, Mm -hmm. and then Nestor, who was the town drunk, I think, lived in the trailer and prepared it wasn't as prepared for this as we thought they were going to be. So that was my little spiel about that. So, Drummers 2 Aftershock was released on April 9th, 1996, has a runtime of an hour and 40 minutes. It was directed by S.S. Wilson, who was the writer and producer. (laughs) Of the first film, and it had a budget of four million dollars and an IMDb score of six out of ten.
0: Yeah, that's kind of weird. Four million dollar budget.
1: Yeah, well, they compared to the
0: first one. Compared
1: to the first one, but they were hoping for a sixteen million dollar budget, I think. And they were well. Here's the thing: they were hoping for a sixteen million dollar budget, and they were hoping to shoot in location Australia, and they were going to do this by bringing back. Kevin Bacon and Reba McIntyre into the cast, but because Kevin Bacon and Reba McIntyre had other commitments at the time, they had to respectfully decline and the budget was dropped down to $4 million. And uh, they decided to change location from Australia to Central America and, like, Mexico locations. Ridiculous. It is what it is. But overall, I, I think it's still held up as a pretty good movie.
0: Yeah.
1: And even Gavin L. Asif from the houston chronicle when talking about this movie he says quote best direct to video sequel ever made which i think says a lot because most sequels don't hold up well and especially movies that are direct to video i think too like both the first and the second one they held up pretty well as video store rentals like mm-hmm. those held up pretty well after the re- initial release of the first movie,
0: well, especially with movies back then, after they came out of the theaters and they were in video stores like Blockbuster and all that stuff, they were actually had a lot more sales than when people went go into the theater, mm-hmm. so that's why a lot of those movies made a bigger impact after the video sales, yeah, especially um direct to video ones,
1: yeah, and I love too, how even though like one of the things I found out about this movie too was that it took twenty seven days. To film in the year 1994. Wow. And it was released two years later because, again, due yeah. to how they were going to release it, because they wanted this movie to be released in theaters, but I guess due to certain issues and, again, the productions and everything, they wanted to direct a video release. Mm-hmm. They actually, for so for this movie, they used one of the full scale Graboid models from the first movie and mm-hmm. they incorporated it into the sequel. It was a refurbished model, and I think, I think, this might be the one that they used when showing what it looked like after it had kind of evolved, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know that scene I'm talking about? I think so. It, it was an opened-up graboid uh, that had, like, this huge cavity that was, like, chewed out. I do remember yes. that, yeah. Yes. So, SS Wilson even deems these creatures, these new creatures, called the Shriekers, as the single greatest threat in the Graboid life cycle because of their reproductive abilities. So, in this sequel, we learn a lot of things. We learn that, A, they evolve. So, once a Graboid has reached the end of its life cycle and transforms into these Shriekers, the shrieker's are produced inside the body of this graboid. Mm-hmm. And once they're ready to be released, they they eat from the inside out of the graboid and then they venture out into the world. And then whenever they eat enough food, they spit out more shrieker's. Yeah. Which I think is it's scary, especially it's when disgusting. they and It is disgusting. The scene where they show this like thing spit out I can't remember. I found a piece of, like, information of how they made that scene.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But it's very gross watching it. And then... I mean, yeah, I could see that. And then another thing, too, is how they hunt compared to the Graboids. They have... They sense heat signatures. Like, they have this little thing that folds open on the top of their head. And it allows them to see infrared signatures. Mm-hmm. So, like, body heat, anything that's warm, they, they'll attack it and eat it. It's like a food source. Yeah. And we also learned, too, that they're prehistoric creatures. Mm -hmm. Because Helen Shaver, she plays... Oh, shoot. What's her name?
0: Yeah, Kate. Kate. Okay.
1: So, Kate is a geologist. She's played by Helen Shaver. She is Earl's love interest in this one. And she's reading in a book, and she's comparing this fossil she found compared to a graboid picture like a close-up shot of one of their spikes, mm-hmm. and she's like, "This is pre-Cambrian mineral. Yeah. Like this, this proves that these predate prehistoric era. These things are from the Earth. They're creatures of this world. Because even Earl predicts in the in the first movie that he thinks that these are creatures from outer space that just crash landed here and are attacking the Earth. But
0: it didn't work out like that.
1: Not really.
0: They're more dinosaur-like."
1: But I like that we now have an origin, like, or we, we at least have a idea of how long they've been here.
0: We understand where they kind of come from.
1: Yes, and they bring back Earl because he's one of the two experts from the original movie that they want to help fight off these graboids that are attacking a oil mining company. Yeah. I, I guess, and. He's like, Well, I kind of don't want to because it, it was a really bad experience for me, and you know, Val and I don't long- talk anymore or whatever. And they try getting Val. He didn't want to do it either. So Earl reluctantly joins, and then he's, you know, accompanied by this guy, Grady, who's played by Chris Garden. And then when they find out that this is starting to becoming too big of a project for both of them to handle, they call in Burt Gummer, who's again played by michael gross into the picture and we come to realize at this point in this in the storyline that bert and heather are no longer together and i had to make a note in here when she left bert she took a certain rifle of, of theirs it's like i don't know
0: like a divorce thing or yeah something. like a
1: divorce settlement i'm yeah. gonna take the hk 91 yeah which it will come up later on when we get to the last three movies but mm-hmm. Yeah, he he took that loss pretty hard, apparently. Oh, yes. And when he comes in, he brings this army truck full of ammunition, bombs, rifles, ammo, MREs, which are like military food supplements. And there's an actual scene, right? So after these Graboids evolve into Shriekers and they still aren't aware of what these things are yet, Burke does get ambushed by a flock of these things. And there was a scene that was actually shot of Bert fighting off these creatures. Cause we don't see it in this movie, but we see that Bert's in this van, he's at it's nighttime, he gets swarmed by these shriekers, and they it goes to black. And mm. then when we see Bert again, he's like driving back, all disoriented, bloodied up, not his blood, but shrieker blood, and he's captured one of these things and he's explaining his story. This kind of like, this story that he's telling was all shot, and S.S. Wilson was Burt's stump double, mm-hmm. but they had to cut it from the movie due to budgeting and pacing and everything. But I was like, oh, that would have been such a good scene to watch. Because exactly. that would have been kick ass. I mean, yeah. we see Burt kick ass in like, the next five, six films. But it's like, come on, that would have been so cool to keep into the movie. Yeah. Again, find out more about these shriekers. (laughs) They find out how they can reproduce and multiply. And then the big ending is that they're able to kill all these things off. Now, some of these shriekers were actually used by puppets made by the same company that made the Graboids from the first movie. Mm -hmm. Some of them are CGI which you can tell, and then some are just rubber dummies that they used like, for scenes where they shoot them and explode them, yeah. and, like, the parts just, you know, scatter from the sky, yeah. but that, that was essentially how they were able to shoot those scenes with these kinds of creatures, which I thought was really cool. Huh. So, overall, this movie had a kill count of three people and one coyote, which is off camera, but... One yeah. coyote? Yeah, there's a, so there's a scene where Earl and Grady are kind of like, I think they're camping, or they may be just stranded on this boulder, but they hear Coyote howling in the distance. Mm-hmm. And Grady's like, is that a coyote? And Earl's like, yeah. And Grady goes, man, he better keep quiet. And all of a sudden you hear a yelp, and it stops. Yeah. And Earl's like, yep. So that's that's, that's the it. second yes. movie, yeah. <laughs> <sighs> that What do you think so far? Have you seen the second one?
0: Yeah, I saw it with you.
1: Well, how did you feel about it?
0: It's like any other sequel. I mean, I don't know. I know they say like it's probably like the best sequel or stuff. I mean, I've seen better, but it still has a good, you know, pace to it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's what I like about these movies, especially some of them. I don't like all of them because, I mean, the pace is not as good as the first one.
1: This one had a pretty good pacing. I mean, because... And I'm going to do a brief rundown, but we get an introduction, and this is our first kill of the movie, but we see oil worker trying to run away from one of these things, and it gets eaten up. Then we see Earl kind of living his life after the events of the first movie, and we kind of see how he's holding up after all of it. And he's trying to breed emus, and gets, you know, asked by this company, can you come help us? And then it kind of rolls from there. Mm -hmm. This cool little adventure movie of these guys hunting Graboids. Then they bring Bert into the mix. Earl and Kate develop this relationship
0: over time. Is this a movie where they kind of like exploited the Graboids and trying to like do like merchandise with them?
1: No, that's the next one. Oh, okay. But Grady does say in this one because they're offering Bert and Grady... Or not Bert. They're offering Earl and Grady money... For each Graboid killed. And they want to capture one alive for scientific research. Which Mm. is near impossible to do. Yeah. And then they see all these shriekers. And then they're like, did the government even think that, you know, they weren't going to pay us for all these shriekers? No. So Grady comes up with these ideas of like, oh, I don't, you know what I'm going to do with the money? I'm going to make a Graboid theme park. Which we find out in the third movie actually does become a thing that Earl invests in. Because he said he was going to use his money for investment. Yeah. And he invests in uh, Grady's theme park. Yeah,
0: and he did more merchandise with the Graboids.
1: Yeah, so let's get into the third one with that being said. So Tremors 3 is back to perfection. It was released on October 2nd of 2001.
0: Eight years after the second one. Well,
1: almost 10, no wait, 11 years after the first one.
0: Yeah, well that, but I'm saying with the second one, it took eight years from the second movie. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It has a runtime of an hour and 44 minutes. It was directed by Brent Maddock. This one had a budget of $6 million.
0: Oh, okay. So it went up by two. Okay.
1: And it has a IMDb rating of 5.3 out of 10. This is kind of where we start to see those ratings start to really go downhill. Yeah,
0: start failing.
1: Yeah. And it stars Michael Gross, Ariana Richards, who makes her reappearance back to the franchise as Mindy, Sean Christian, Charlotte Stewart, and Tony Gennaro. Mm. Tony Gennaro played Miguel, who was also in the first part of the movie. Yeah. Yes. So I think that's really cool overall. So the events in this movie take place ten almost ten or eleven years after the release of the first movie. And it goes back to perfection, Nevada, and up until this point the town hasn't seen any graboid activity since the events of the first movie yeah so we kind of have this kind of going for it and i think it's really interesting too that we we kind of see how they've not only held up since the first movie but how they are doing and everything so yeah. chang's shop walter Chang's shop is now run by his niece jody jody chang so jody chang you know after the loss of her uncle she comes to Nevada To help run the shop And this is where They kind of start Turning perfection Into like a tourist attraction For Graboid sightings Funny fun fact But there is a scene Where the tour comes back From their Safari-esque type Adventure in the desert Mm -hmm. And there's a mother and son Who go up to Bert And they want to take his picture And they keep calling him Mr. Goober Instead of Mr. Gummer The mom who plays That Mr. Thank you Mr. Goober Mom that's Michael Gross's sister, Mary Gross.
0: Wow, that's gross.
1: <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. But I think it's cool. So, like I said, nothing has pretty much happened up until this point. And mm. like we mentioned before, Grady's theme park takes off. And this also influences Jody to kind of turn the shop into a Graboid merchandise shop as well. Because she mm. has comic books. She has puppets. She has... Dolls and Isn't there
0: an arcade game of the Graboids. Yes. yes, Which
1: there's an arcade game that was used from the second movie because Earl had one in his house. Remember?
0: Yes, I do remember that.
1: So they pulled that from the second movie, incorporated into the third one. They not only took like they they pulled references from the first two movies and incorporate into this one. So kind of like how Walter Chang got to name the Graboids, Jody gets to name these new creatures called Ass Blasters, which <laughs> are kind of like shriekers. Their their mouths are a little bit more elongated than the shriekers, but the original name for it comes from how they travel. They carry in their bodies this flammable liquid that when released oxygen, because oxygen is all around us and it's how we breathe, when those liquids are exposed in oxygen, they become flammable and they kind of help these creatures take off in flight. Okay. So hence the name Ass Blasters. So it, it's it's pulled references, it's also pulled scenes from the first film. So remember how we mentioned before the the big reveal scene in Tremors One? Yeah. That gets reused again in the third movie. Really? Yes. Okay. Which I thought was really interesting. That's cool. It is the longest Tremors movie in the franchise at 104 minutes. I just thought it would be fun to throw that in there. And Michael Gross actually won an award for Best Actors for this film. What? Yeah.
0: For what award? was it? Like, Best Actor. I know, but what was the uh, the thing called? It wasn't in the Academy Awards. That's I don't
1: sure. think so, but he did win some award for Best Actor for this film. So in the first movie, remember how I mentioned there's like road workers who get mm. killed? One of the road workers was played by John Pappas, in the third movie, he plays Agent Charlie Rusk in part three. So in this third movie, I mean, like we said, the Graboids come back and Bert wants to try to kill all of them before they eventually evolve into Shriekers. And then the government comes in and they're like, you can't kill these creatures. we They're prehistoric animals. They're near extinction. You can't let them die. Yeah. And Bert's like, are you shitting me? These things are monstrous. They're carnivorous. They're going to kill everybody in this town. Exactly. Yeah, like you can't. And then on top of all of this, there's a settlement company who's trying to build housing in this neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Or not neighborhood, but in this part of town and everything. We don't really get to see the shriekers all that much. It just kind of like cuts from, you know, there's graboids. There's one specific graboid that's, an albino graboid. Okay. Yeah. That's weird. It's, it's it's a whole thing. So there's a there's an albino graboid. Mm. And albino animals they don't reproduce. This is why when we watch the when you watch the third one, this one never evolves into shriekers and then ass blasters. It just stays an albino graboid for the rest of the movie. But we again we see that they do eventually evolve, but they don't get to. All of them in time before they evolve into the next phase, which is these ass blasters. That's why when they see them, they don't know what to do with them. And they don't know anything about them. Yeah. They're not prepared for this. Again, so when the Graboids first come, we see Nancy and Mindy hiding up on the roof.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because they think that, like, okay, we're, we're dealing with Graboids. We've done this before. We have to get up on the roof and get off the ground. Yeah. Then we hear they've reached the shrieker phase. We don't see the shriekers yet but now they're starting to hide their heat signatures with boxes and stuff but they're still staying off the ground because they're again they're like if we keep ourselves elevated off the ground we minimize the risk of being attacked by these things and now we have these ass blasters and they fly so the roofs are no longer safe at this point so Mm -hmm. i was like what the fuck do we do we also don't realize too that unlike the shriekers when they eat they don't reproduce they actually put themselves in a food coma when they eat Which makes this one scene in particular very comical, but saddening. So, it's a long-running theme in almost every single Tremors movie we watch. But Bert Gummer is almost never prepared for shit like this. He really is. He's not, like, yeah, his arsenal of weaponry is not prepared for Graboids. He was totally not prepared to fight Shriekers in the second film. And in this one, he blows (laughs) up his own home, thinking that if these things eat my food they are going to be more tr- there's going to be more trouble than ever before it's only to come to find out after the fact that if you feed them they will slip into a coma and be rendered useless
0: so i guess he was pissed about that
1: oh he was devastated He's devastated, You're and I think
0: it's—I
1: know his home that he now has to rebuild all over again because in the ten years since the first movie, he's made his home not only graboid-proof, he's made it shrieker-proof, and now he's homeless. He's like, "What do I do now?" So I feel like all of this is really comical. And again, this is where we not only get to see the ratings shot, but when we start to see the sequels become more campier than the original. That's how I feel about the third one. How do you feel about the third one? Did you watch the third one?
0: Uh, a little bit. I did remember the beginning of it for sure. Yeah. Especially when they were mostly talking about the merchandise, which is hilarious. Yeah. But the rest of it, it's a blur.
1: Yeah. And I, I didn't get a kill count for this one, but I'm going to try to remember off the top of my head. I
0: feel like most of these They're- films are going to be a blur to me, so...
1: Well, the first one was this punk-ass kid who worked with Jack, the tourist guy. The guy who does the safari tours of the Graboids and the Mm. mountains and everything. His assistant gets killed by a Graboid. And then, I think the agents, the government agents, there's three of them. There's two agents and a scientist. They all get attacked by shriekers off camera. And then Miguel gets killed by one of the ass blasters... And I think that's it. So I think there's five in total in the third movie.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, that's cool.
1: It's an odd, odd movie. It's an odd franchise. How do you feel so far? Odd. Odd.
0: <laughs> I mean, no, I love these movies. Don't get me wrong in everything. I do I do think they're cool. I know they're yeah. your favorite, but...
1: They're my absolute favorite, and but, I love
0: them. But they're okay. I mean, I, I enjoy them for what they are, especially their humor mm-hmm. and stuff. Kind of like the mix with the, the horror aspects of these things. Yes. But I think that's what I liked about horror movies is that, you know, there's always got to be a little bit of that, like, you know not to make too much of serious of yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to make fun of yourself a little bit. Mm -hmm. And especially the creature. Yeah. Yeah, so So, that's that's what I like about
1: it. So we have the then, and then we have the now. Like, we have the past, which is 1990, and then we have the present, which was 2000, kind of. I wouldn't call it present, but more modern. You know what I mean? Yeah. We see, like, an age gap. We see how things have progressed since the events of Part 1. Now, with this fourth installment, this is a prequel to the events of the first one. And I love this one so much because we not only get to see the very first life cycle of how the Graboids are originated and where they come from, but how the early settlements of the town of Perfection, Nevada, Nevada, have started and how the events then are different from the ones we saw in the first movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, let's get into this. So, Tremors 4 The Legend Begins was released on January 2nd, 2004, so three years after the third movie, has a runtime of an hour and 41 minutes, also directed by S.S. Wilson, had a budget of $5 million, and like its third movie, had a 5.3 out of 10 rating on IMDb. It stars Michael Gross, Sarah Boxford, Billy Drago, and Brent Rome. Huh.
0: Okay. Is this the one where they're like like way back in the old and western days? So
1: this movie takes place yep. in 1889, which would be 100 years prior to the events of part one, which was originally shot in 1989, which is technically where the story takes place in the first movie. Ah. So I love that. I love how they specifically chose that year to be the year where they like... That's pretty smart. Yeah. And this is, like I said, this is where we are introduced to the graboid larva stage. So as we find out that if ass blasters live to a certain adulthood, they start to eventually lay eggs. They scatter these eggs somewhere in the desert areas, like soft earth regions. Especially if influenced in open water, like warm water, helps hatch the eggs faster. And then these eggs hatch They call them grab lights, which are like larva, like baby graboids. They're about like a certain small size, like a smaller size than what the graboids are originally are. Mm -hmm. And they not only like the bigger ones, they move through the dirt, but they can also kind of fly or glide in the air from the ground. I'm guessing unlike the adults. They're lighter in size where if they are projected at a certain speed and they shoot up off the ground, they can glide and actually attack people above ground. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's pretty, I think that's pretty scary. That makes them even more dangerous. So they start out as larvae and then they grow into the adult graboid, which we see a little bit later in the fourth movie. But this makes it very interesting because when, when we see perfection, like I said, it's in the early settlement stages where shops, hotels, buildings are in early developmental stages of being built. Businesses are trying trying to grow and thrive in this uh, restricted or resorted town in the desert. Yeah, And this is also where we kind of see almost early ancestors of the <coughs> characters from the First movie and how they originated. Mm -hmm. Because there's a family that runs the convenience store, the Changs. Mm -hmm. They're an Asian family who traveled from China, moved out into the West to build a business and thrive. Because this is also, too, I want to say this is probably the time of the gold rush where people, pioneers, were starting to settle, like, move out west and settle out there and search for gold and stuff. Mm-hmm. Because not too far from this town is where there's, like, a mining company. Like, right. there are there are mining caves where one of the settlers, Pedro, works. And this is where we kind of see our first few kills. Mm-hmm. But he's working in the mines, and some of his, co- like, coworkers are starting to disappear and get killed. One of them even has his whole head get eaten off by one of these things. Yeah. Very interesting to see how we have a beginning to all of this and then to compare it to the people, the characters and events of the first film. Mm-hmm. So we've come to find out too that this land is all owned by an ancestor of Burke Gummer's. We meet Hiram Gummer who's played by Michael Gross comes to perfection to try to Find out what the problem is to try to get business back in running shape. Yeah. And he meets the hotel keeper and all the people who are already settled in the town. And this is when all the events start to unfold. So we come to find out that there's these monsters who are attacking these miners. Hmm. Interesting stuff. Exactly. Yeah. It's interesting.
0: What,
1: what do you think so far? Have you Did you watch the fourth one?
0: Actually, I did watch it with you. And okay. I kind of felt like it kind of gave me those back to the future part three western vibes Mm -hmm. because that was based around in 1885 yes and with doc brown and all that and i just felt like if anyone makes a a, a mockery or kind of like a cowboy western thing like that Mm -hmm. i feel like doc brown should should have been in tremors Mm four as like a special like cameo appearance yeah but I, I I like those type of movies, and I think it was cool that they took that type of vibe and the history of how Gummer or Gumbo, whatever his name Burt is, Bert Gummer, Bert Gummer, how Gumbo. He be- Gummer, how he became who he was because of his ancestor.
1: Yeah, but he, even his ancestor wasn't as gun-crazed as his descendant would turn out to be. That's the thing it that kind of shocked me. Yeah, it actually isn't until about well into like the third act of the movie where we start to see Hiram start to acquire... A arsenal of weapons, not only for himself to help fend off these monsters, but for the people in the town, too.
0: I was about to say, because who helped him? Was it a woman that kind of made him more gung Yeah, the
1: hotel keeper. And I'm blanking yeah. on her name, but she's a redhead who, I find it funny, Reba McIntyre's a redhead. Yeah. And she was Bert's wife in part one. So I guess redheads are kind of a running theme. Yeah, so a lot and of the the gummer- stuff is
0: culminating from the first movie. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of things happen for a reason.
1: Yeah, so she introduces Bert or Hiram, I mean, into guns and not only shows him like how to use it, but also like target practicing. No. And we also meet another character a little bit halfway into the film too, Name, I think his name is Blackhand Kelly. <laughs> no, I I might be wrong and I'm sorry if I am, but
0: Blackhand Kelly.
1: Yeah, there's like a Clint Eastwood type character. Who's kind of like a gunman they hire him to kind of help try to be rid of these monsters but he also shows hiram how to shoot guns mm. you know and very interesting stuff another thing too is like just like the events of the first one nobody knows anything about these creatures they don't know where they come from they don't know what they are or what their you know reasoning is And the Changs even say that in China they have a like a legend or a folklore story of dirt dragons, and I guess this is what they kind of start to call them.
0: Dirt dragons? Yeah, I actually like that.
1: I like that a lot better than graboids. I wish we can. Or ass blasters. I wish we can call these things dirt dragons rather than graboids. You know what I mean? Yeah. Dds. That's (laughs) that's a much more cooler name than the graboid monsters. So. Just again, just like in the events of the first part, the town fights back against these monsters and they eventually are victorious and they are able to rid them all, but it's the ending that really intrigues me. So Hiram decides to stay in perfection and settle there as a permanent resident. And him and all the other settlers agree that we are to never tell anybody about the Dirt Dragons because if people find out that they're a common threat of the region nobody's going to want to settle here yeah and that with the money he was going to earn from reopening the mines you know he's going to able to help the settlers you know get their businesses off the ground get the hotel enough money to actually build a hotel and all this good stuff so this is how we started to kind of see perfection become perfection You know what I mean? I think that's really good. And it makes a lot of sense now, thinking back to, like... We have an origin of how long these things have been here.
0: So by the fourth movie, they start having an origin story?
1: Well, so the fourth movie shows, like, a first ever encounter with these creatures. Hmm. Okay. And how the earliest settlers of perfection handled it then. Yeah. And because they agreed at the end of the movie to not speak about it to any outsiders because in fear of people not wanting to settle.
0: They didn't want all the attention.
1: Well, not attention. They don't want the town to not be able to thrive without new settlers. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, they didn't want them to get scared. Yeah, exactly.
1: So they kept that quiet. So this hunt, like I said, not only helps us discover their origin and how long, exactly how long these things have been around in that part, of the country but like again how the settlers handled it at the time yeah so i think that's really cool i liked like i said I, that's, that's one of the reasons why i like about this prequel it kind of answers a lot of questions that we didn't know too much about the last three movies or the first three i should say yeah so what do you think so far
0: i think it's cool i think um i don't know i think it's cool
1: <laughs> okay. That's all I gotta doesn't, say. That doesn't help me, but okay. No, but, so,
0: but it's, it's a nice change of pace that they were doing for the fourth film.
1: Yeah. You want to move on to the fifth one? Please do. You like... The fifth and sixth one, I feel like. because Why? it
0: Was it Jamie Kennedy in those ones? Yes. So yeah. the fifth
1: movie is called Tremors 5 Bloodlines. It has a runtime of an hour and 39 minutes. It was released on October 6th in 2015. So about 25 years after the events of part one. It was directed by Don Michael Paul, who would go on to not only direct this one, but the sixth and seventh movie as well. Wow. And it has a IMDb score rating of... Five point three out of ten, and it does star again Michael Gross, Jamie Kennedy, like we just mentioned,
0: which is cool. I mean, I love Jamie Kennedy, so literally whatever he does, I feel like almost everything he does is pretty good.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's in he was in what Scream.
0: He was that, and he was also um, uh, what is it? Uh, that really funny movie he did, Malibu's Most Wanted, which is my favorite, one of my favorite movies. Yeah, it's so and dumb, then, but it's great.
1: And then the movie also stars. Pearl Thusi, I think that's how you pronounce it. I might be wrong and I apologize, but T-H-U-S-I, Thusi.
0: Yeah, Thusi. F-
1: f- no, Fousey.
0: Fousey, not Floozy. no Fousey.
1: Ben- Brandon Orette. Yeah, you got that. Yeah. So in this one, like I said, it's 25 years after the events of the first movie. And it's a good, good while. Yeah, it's like a good gap between the last film and this film. That was released. Mm-hmm. What do you think so far? I I don't know what to think so far. Well, you, you watched this movie. I know you watched it just to watch Jamie Kennedy. But... Well, yeah,
0: but isn't this the movie where he finds out that his father is Michael Gross's character?
1: Well, no, because so Jamie Kennedy comes in as Bert's kind of like assistant or sidekick or whatever. And we come to find out about halfway through the movie, Travis, which is Jamie Kennedy's character's name, reveals that he is Bert's long lost son from a fling Bert had back in the I guess '70s or '80s. '80s. Yeah. Especially if
0: it lives, if he's if he's that old, yeah, it has to be in the '80s. Well, I mean, he's not old old. I mean,
1: I also don't want to assume because technically, Bert was married to Heather in '89. I don't know how long they were married prior to that, but if this was happening in the 80s, Burt was technic I don't know. It's hard to say. Well, how
0: old is Jamie Kennedy's character in the film?
1: Like 30-something, 40-something. All right,
0: so you take... Well, 30 or 40-something.
1: I don't know. I'm not going to do the math right now. It's too late in the evening to do this shit, so...
0: <sighs> to do a lot of things in the evening.
1: Overall, Travis Walker is Bert Gummer's son. That's you know all much is pretty said in this movie, and they get called to go to South Africa for uh, potential graboid attacks. That's
0: the that is the film. Okay, yeah,
1: not just graboids, mind you, but also ass blasters. There's yeah. no shriekers in this one. It Which just weird. goes wow. yeah, it goes straight from graboid eggs to graboids to ass blasters, and they all look really really different and they even met, pointed out when they find a fossil of a gravoi like bones and stuff like a structure of it mm-hmm. Bert even says this one looks different it's more leaner and the uh um, because the other
0: ones are bigger right? they're mm-hmm.
1: much bigger and they're little they look kind of like slugs yeah. but this one is a much more leaner type of like worm creature
0: isn't that what which, the tremors were always were slugs like big slugs
1: they look like slugs but they're they're more like sandworms. Okay. And the the tentacles in these ones can detach to travel above the surface and grab their prey and drag them down to the mouth of the beast, so to speak. So they're there to go to this village in South Africa to help be rid of these monsters. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're finding out more about not just, like, how they've adapted in this type of environment now, because it's a different country, it's a different continent, Mm -hmm. it's a different part of the world. But the area is relatively similar setting to Nevada, which is desert, loose soil, easy to detect. But what's even more interesting about the ass blaster concept is the fact that because Africa normally has an overall climate temperature, of like really high degrees, mm-hmm. these ass blaster creatures hunt at night to better pick up heat signatures from prey, which I think is very interesting.
0: Hmm. That does sound interesting.
1: Yeah, because they only hunt at night. And then it also ties into a little bit of their folklore and cultural um, aspects with the natives of the South African tribes down there. And it's, I think it's really cool how they incorporate that kind of concept with this storyline mm-hmm. and how it kind of ties into the whole Tremors franchise, it also kind of gives these creatures a much darker edge to them than the original movies did. Yeah, which I think is really cool. That's cool. Yeah, what did you think?
0: I do like this one. I liked it that it was a little more fun, and they went to Africa, and mm-hmm. just I feel like Jamie Kennedy's humor. You think Michael Gross would be the the funny guy throughout the other movies? But I feel like Jamie, Jamie Kennedy definitely brought the uh, oh, the do, laughter of it.
1: We do have a funny moment with Burt, remember? Where, yeah, um,
0: well, I know that, but Jamie Kennedy's always funny. So I in this movie, he brings the humor.
1: I know, but you remember that scene in Part 5 where Burt gets stuck in the cage and he's st- stuck out in the desert for, yeah, like, I do days? Remember that. Yeah,
0: I do remember that. And
1: the heat starts to really get to him.
0: Yeah, it's messing with his yeah. head.
1: And he brings up... And like I mentioned before, he bring he brings up Heather and the HK ninety one rifle that she took.
0: Oh, I do remember that. That's funny. and
1: he's like, give the HK ninety one a good home. I miss it. And I'm like, oh boy. He's losing his shit. Yeah. He's drinking his own urine, and then a lion comes along and tries to attack the cage. Like it's just, it's really funny overall. Yeah. And there was also mentioned too that Kevin Bacon had expressed interest in returning to the Tremors franchise when they repicked when they picked this back up, but he backed out. You know, unfortunately, he apparently didn't make an appearance in the TV series.
0: Oh, yeah, that's right, didn't he? Yeah. I thought he made a comeback in something.
1: Well, I'm not sure if it was after the third or fourth movie, but we did get a 13-episode TV series called Tremors.
0: Mm -hmm. And he was in it, yeah.
1: He was in it. Michael Gross was in it. I don't know who else. When did that
0: come out? A couple years ago? I have
1: no idea. It hasn't been a couple years. It's been a good while. But I wouldn't say it's been a couple years. I
0: thought it was recent, but I don't know. Who cares?
1: So, like I said, at this point in the franchise, we've seen the Graboids in the U.S. and Mexico, which is all part of North America and Central America, and even some parts of South America get mentioned in the sequels. This makes Africa the third continent Mm -hmm. to have sighted Graboids, ass blaster creatures. Anything else you want to put in before we move on to part six? Blah. That's it? Yeah. Okay. So, part six is A Cold Day in Hell. It has a runtime of an hour and 38 minutes. It was released on May 1st, 2018. Again, directed by Don Michael Paul. And has an IMDb rating of 5 out of 10.
0: I never saw this one, so I feel this like... This is where
1: they go to the Arctic Circle. Oh, I know that.
0: I know what it's about. But I have heard about it, but I never saw it. So, you probably know better than I do. So. Yeah.
1: This one has a lot of references and ties to the the earlier movies so parts one through three again it stars michael gross jamie kennedy jamie lee money and tanya van gran or gran
0: let me see where's that name
1: g-r-a-a-n gran Gran. so like i said it's been it's been a long-running joke throughout the movie franchise that bert has always worn a atlanta hawks hat right so in this one, he switches hats. He switches from the Atlanta Hawks hat that he's always worn throughout the movies to a Chicago Cubs. And it's always been something that people point out in this film. Like, oh, you switch teams? And he's like, no, I just switch hats. Like, old one guy all beat out, and he had to get a new one. Yeah. Some references in Easter eggs from previous films. So there is a scene where Travis's character tells Rita, the scientist who works at the Arctic Circle... Her leg gets caught by a graboy tentacle, and it's trying to pull her back. And he's like, take off your pants, like how Val McKee did in the first movie. Rita says no this time, in, in comparison to the first film. And then Val and Rhonda's daughter, Valerie, makes an appearance too. She's one of the student scientists helping like do research at this facility in the Arctic Circle. So she makes an appearance and is sporting Graboid boots. And I don't know when exactly this takes place, but I guess this was a nod off to either the first movie or the second movie. But she shows Burt Gummer that I have these, and she shows him the Graboid boots. And she's like, Dad made them from an old Graboid, gave them to Mom, handed them down to me. And they're indestructible. Like, they're very tough. They're made out of tough material because mm-hmm. of Graboid skins. Bert even references Old Line from the first movie, in the first movie, when the grab boy comes in through the wall of their bunker, mm-hmm. he says broke um says something along the lines like, Looks like you walked into the wrong rec room, didn't you, you bastard? And he says something similar in this one, only instead of rec room, he says hanger. Because they go to this part of the camp where there's like a hangar shop mm-hmm. for repairing vehicles, planes, all that good stuff. And they kind of use, like, the barrier of this thing as, like, an electrical fence to keep the Graboids out. And by doing this, they essentially kill one of the Graboids. And this is when Bert gets all excited and pulls this famous quote that we've all heard before in the first movie. And then um, Liquid to distract Graboids, which was a tactic used in the first movie. And then using Graboids' momentum against itself. So, like, the stampede scene at the end when... Kevin Bacon tricks the Graboid to go over a cliff and fall to its death. They do the same thing in not only killing a few of them that way, but capturing one as well, Mm. which I thought was really cool. And then they tie in one of the biggest things from the third movie was when Bert got eaten alive by one of the Graboids in the third film. That eventually comes back as a side effect, or not a side effect, but it does poses health problems to Bert in this movie. Because he starts to get ill. He starts to have flashbacks and nightmares about that time when he got trapped within the Graboid. And apparently when that happened it developed a parasitic disease within his body that was starting to make him more weak. Mm. And they were worried that he was going to die. So they needed to capture a live Graboid to retrieve antibodies to fight off this parasite.
0: Oh wow. Yeah,
1: which is I think is really interesting. That's fucking weird. But it's interesting. I like how they tied that with some of the older films, because at least it all kind of, like, comes together full circle. Yeah, that's true. And then the HK-91 makes an appearance. So at one point, they're shooting at one of the ass blasters, and Travis uses an HK-91. And Bert noticed this. And he asks Travis, like, where'd you get the HK ninety one? And it's revealed later on that Travis did go to Heather Burt's, our ex-wife, and got the HK ninety one back. Which Burt wasn't happy that Travis did that to go see Heather, but he's glad that he got his gun back.
0: Oh so. wow! Anybody did it for him, right?
1: Yeah, he did it for him. Oh. Yeah.
0: See, that's a nice son.
1: Yeah, and I like it too because in not only in this movie but the fifth movie too it shows a lot of character development not just in travis been Bert as a father figure so to speak like he starts to really kind of care for travis as his own kid and it starts to let go of the reins a little bit of having some sort of sense of control or authority over the situation
0: mm-hmm. which i
1: think is really good so i like that concept and yeah i think overall this was a really interesting movie too cool Because, again, location-wise, even, like, you know, this is all taking place within the Arctic Circle, which, to Bert's disbelief, Graboids start to roam this part of the region and start to kill people within the area. Yeah. So it's like, how does something like that happen in a place that's meant to be mostly frozen? Yeah, good question. Well, I think, too, what is also good about this, they tie in actual current events, which, at the moment, we're all kind of just dealing with like our carbon footprint, AKA like global warming. And it kind of ties into this. So as the Arctic circle starts to thaw out and melt down, it loosens up the soil in the area and makes it more susceptible for graboids who have probably laid dormant because of the frozen climate to come back to life and kill people. So I think that's really interesting. Any thoughts?
0: Not really, I mean, except, you know, it's cool.
1: Yeah, so our last movie of the franchise so far, and I'm saying that because I'll get to that in a bit, but the latest installment is Tremors 7, Shrieker Island. It has a runtime of an hour and 43 minutes. So this still puts Tremors 3 as the longest movie in the franchise by an hour and 44 minutes.
0: Really?
1: Yeah. It was released on October 20th, 2020, so just last year, not too long ago.
0: Wow, during the pandemic, that's crazy.
1: Yeah. Don, Michael, Paul, again, directed this film, and it has a 5.5 out of 10 on IMDb. It stars Michael Gross, Jackie Cruz, who is in Orange is the New Black. So, what happened to Jamie Kennedy, then? I'll get into that in a minute. John Heater is in this movie, too. Yeah, Napoleon, no, wow. And Richard Brake, who Richard Brake is in a lot of horror movies lately. He was in Three from Hell. I believe he was in Mandy, the Nicolas Cage movie. Yeah, I want to actually
0: see that one. That one looks really good too. I heard it but looks he's
1: good. he's in a lot of he's been popping up in a lot of newer horror movies lately and he was also not just in Three from Hell which is a Rob Zombie movie he was also in the Halloween 2 remake and a bunch of other I think 31 as well was another movie he appeared in in Rob Zombie's you know what filmography you know what what
0: Uh, a couple days ago I was actually at Walmart and I saw the cover to the new Tremors movie and I looked at it I looked closely and I saw John Hedder and he looks so different. I look behind the back cover. He's fat. Like, John Hedder's... I'd say like, he's put
1: on a little bit of weight, but he, I wouldn't say he's fat. I think he, he's got
0: a pudge. I saw Well, it. I
1: mean, in, in this movie, he's a little bit more scruffier looking than in the well, other Well, on the
0: face, movies. yes, but his body type, yeah. I don't old. really
1: pay attention to that, so he's, he's I don't fat. really... I, don't, I didn't notice then. I just noticed that Jackie Cruz was in it, because I yeah. looked at her and I'm like, she looks so... Familiar. I'm like, where the hell have I seen her? And then I heard her talk, and mm. I'm like, oh, that's Flaca Gonzalez. Yes, that's her name. And Orange is a new black. So this is the third film in the franchise that shows actual shriekers. And they look like I said, they look different from the way they looked in the second film. But this is technically the second time we or third time that we've seen them. And they looked a little bit more different. So like the CGI work is a little different in this time around. Mm -hmm. Michael Gross actually ate the grub his character cooks in the movie. So when they had to go get Bert, he's become kind of a recluse. He's kind of living off land so to speak. Like a little island that's kind of what would you call it? I don't want to say a deserted island, but he's kind of like doing okay. He's grown out his hair and beard, which Michael Gross actually posted a picture of him with the long hair and beard on his social media to kind of help promote the movie a little bit yeah and the original title of this movie was going to be tremors island fury which i thought would have been a really cool title for this one yeah that would have been yeah so some of the noises that are used for the shrieker vision scenes were actually pulled from predator movies which i thought was really cool yeah yeah is that all you have to say you have you seen predator yeah, of
0: course. Are you kidding me? That's well, a you classic. Know, well, you know
1: the noises that they make, right? The yeah, clicking noise, the clicking I think? the clicking
0: noise and all that. Yeah. yeah,
1: some of those noises were used in this movie. Oh, they
0: use it for this one? Yeah. Nice. Dude, now I want to watch Predator now.
1: Yeah. Carolyn L- Langrishi I can't pronounce her last name. So, the actress who plays Jasmine Wel- Walker, who's Travis's mom, who we hadn't seen up until now. We only heard from her from the story that Travis told Burt of how they met and we kind of see her she works as like this uh wildlife preserve type of location off one of these islands and we don't really know exactly where this area is we just know that it almost looks like kong skull island to me Mm. this like cluster of islands that are kind of nearby one another so there's one island where jasmine's Reserve is and her facility is located, and then you've got the one that Bert's probably like holed up in elsewhere that's close by, and then you have this other island that's a little bit more darker in comparison to all the others. Mm -hmm. And this is essentially the island that Richard Brake's character owns, and he's kind of using this island as like his own little safari tour group. So, like, the whole concept of this is that Richard Brake is a playboy-type character.
0: Philanthropist.
1: I wouldn't call him a philanthropist, because philanthropists are people who use their money to give back to charity in the community. Well, is he
0: narcissistic?
1: Not only is he narcissistic, but he does not do anything for charity or the community. He uses his money to breed the weirdest types of creatures for rich people to hunt.
0: So he's kind of like a fucked-up Tony Stark?
1: Kind of. Okay. Very evil,
0: without being the Flanderpiss, because Tony is a Flanderpiss.
1: Well, what what makes this thing even more creepy, and especially like good on Richard Brake for this as a, as a character, but he is so caught up with the fact that like he enjoys hunting, like he likes a challenge like this. He does it for the money, which I feel like in his investment of making this type of creature the way that this is, because even Bert is like these are not normal shriekers. Like, what the hell did you do with these? Oh, you- and he's like, we genetically mutated them to make them even more harder and more challenging to hunt.
0: What the fuck is wrong with him?
1: Because he's doing it for the money. Like I said, he he, Jackass. he advertises these tours for rich people who want to go hunting and co- like collect souvenirs and trophies of their tours and s- stuff. It's just very all amateur hunter type of shit that eventually ends up getting the people of his tour group killed, you mm. know what i mean? Mm-hmm. Cuz it's all very it's all very bizarre.
0: It sounds like it.
1: Yes. So, it is implied that you know, what this is the reason why we don't see Travis in this movie, but it is implied that in this film that Travis is in prison in Mexico for possible drug possession. Possible Because those kind of details are not exactly fully explained. We just know that Travis is not in the picture because he's in prison in Mexico. And for whatever reason happened, Bert is not happy with the situation. He's very disappointed in Travis. He's not speaking to him. And it. it makes it even sadder ending because at the end of this one, and I don't know if this is actually true. But we do see Bert possibly get killed by one of these graboids.
0: Oh! No. Yes. Not Bert. not Michael his, Gross, not Family Ties Gross.
1: He's, his body is never found at the end, and it is implied that he has died at the end of this one. Oh,
0: so this means this is the very last Tremors movie?
1: Now, I wouldn't say that because in an interview with Bloody Disgusting Boo Crew Podcast... <laughs> Michael Gross said that the door is still open for a Tremors 8, despite what viewers saw at the end of the seventh film. And that is all I have on my notes.
0: Well, that was a very sad ending to that. I know. You hurt D- me. <laughs>
1: I feel like, A, even if Michael Gross's character didn't die, this was a good way to kind of seal... And end that chapter for Burt Gummer. Because he's been doing this for a long time. Since 1989, technically.
0: Yeah.
1: and He was doing it when I was born. Yes. I mean, exactly. You're you're 32. Yeah. Burt, obviously, is an older man at this point. For him to kind of try to keep this going, especially at a much older age, probably would not only be very, very hard to do, given if his health were to kind of decline over time. But, you know, we just never know. Yeah. So, maybe the door is open for an eighth film.
0: Maybe if he comes maybe. back from the dead. Yeah, I was yeah. say,
1: maybe if Bird does come back, it'll be a great comeback movie. That would be
0: pretty cool. We and don't then, know. And, until- what if, and what if Kevin Bacon comes back in that one, in the eighth one?
1: I would love for Kevin Bacon to come back and reprise as well as Val McKee. Because I feel like if anybody were to pick up that torch... From Michael Gross, it's him. It would, yeah, it would have to be somebody from the original film.
0: Like, what if Kevin Bacon and Jamie Kennedy were like in a movie together for Tremors? That'd be interesting. Uh, I would, I would see that. Like, you have the old and the new.
1: Kind of, you well, see, it's hard to say because in in the fifth and sixth film, we've seen Travis kind of try to develop relationships with women in both movies, and it seemed like in part six. He really got close with that Rita doctor. I do remember that. Yeah, but Val McKee's daughter, we've come to realize, is almost as good as her dad is when it comes to graboid hunting. She knows how to work a rifle. She knows how to sharpshoot. She knows all about graboid mythology and legend and folklore and stuff. Well, yeah,
0: because she was raised on that.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, so she so, was
0: raised to be a badass. So I
1: feel like if if like I said, if anybody were to pick up the torch from Burt Gummer's legacy. It would have to either be Kevin Bacon, his daughter Valerie McKee, and Travis, if Travis ever gets out of prison in Mexico, which who knows how that's going to go. Mm -hmm. But overall, I really, really like this franchise. I think it's got a good premise. And like I said, each movie shows more growth in how this type of creature, lifeline, Uh. Continue to grow and evolve okay. over time. Okay. How do you feel overall?
0: Uh, kind of sad that Michael Gross's like character is gone, but we don't know for sure. But heard that he was dead. I don't know. I didn't see this film, but I don't know if I want to watch it now because I don't want. I don't want. It's
1: very it. dark. I will give it that. Yeah. It's probably. One of the darkest out of all the like, out of the last three films that came out in this franchise, Shrieker Island is probably the darkest, probably based like what we said about Jurassic Park because it's shot dark mm-hmm. and like a darker setting, you know, and all that stuff. But yeah. I think it's cool.
0: Sounds cool. Yeah. All right. So
1: that concludes, that concludes our, our episode. Our for episode. Today.
0: And before we go, you have to tell them where to go.
1: Yes. Yeah, so, if you want to follow us on social media, you can go to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at the Abby Normal podcast name. We still have our Patreon. That's still open for anybody who would, feels inclined to become a Patreon. Uh, you'll still get your name shout out mentioned in future episodes. We are still trying to work on merchandise. I mean, I, I got to figure some stuff out for that, but. Once we get merchandise, it will be added to one of the higher tiers for our Patreon settings. So, there's
0: that. Also, everyone wish Aaliyah a happy birthday.
1: Thank you. And
0: she will have a wonderful day today. That's right. We are going to go and relax now. Mm -hmm. And we will have a wonderful birthday.
1: Yep. And hopefully next time you hear from us again, it will be the part two review of American Horror Story. So, until
0: then... This has been the Abbey Normal Podcast. I'm your host, Colin Bourne.
1: And I'm Leah.
0: Signing off saying, I hate sandworms.